joining us for the latest message at Island Church. So I have been praying and seeking the Lord about what to teach and what to bring forth tonight you know, from him, what he wants to impart to us. And I am excited because he's always got a word in season, doesn't he? <laughs> and I think tonight is going to be more, more of just a, a Bible study. We're going to sit, we're going to dig into the word together, and we're going to get everything we can get from it. Um, the message he gave me, um, he titled it, The Truth About Unity. Um, this is a subject that there's a lot of talk about in the church. This is a subject that there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misunderstanding. And so I just think the Lord wants to take us back to the basics, back to his word. Let's see what he says. You know, let's all get on the same page. Yes, we are going to get to that. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of things, you know, when we see commandments in the Word of God about unity, what we try to do a lot of times is we apply our own understanding of unity to what God's saying, but it's not His definition. You know, when we define things by the world standards or we define things by something religions taught us or we define things even by our own opinions, you know, usually what we're, we're wanting to hold on to are definitions that are comfortable to us, that don't um, challenge us to change. And so we don't want to do that here. <laughs> If anything, we want to be challenged. We want the Word of God to define every, every understanding we have. So we want our understanding of unity to be defined by Him, not by anything else, certainly not by ourselves. So how, there can be no unity, here's the, the catch here, without truth. And God is the only source of truth. So His Word reveals to us the meaning of unity. There are keys to achieving unity. And there are warnings about division, okay? So we're going to go over all of this, uh, starting out just kind of trying to figure out what is unity. Now, back in the Old Testament in Psalm 133, there's a very um, well-known verse that says, How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And that Hebrew word that is translated unity, it literally means a unit, Okay. So it means something that is united, that is alike all at once, um, and that is all together. And then in 1 Peter 3.8, we see where believers are instructed to be harmonious. This is another word that can be translated unity, is harmonious. And that word would mean to share the same perspective, like-minded. For believers, this means living in one accord, having the same mind, the spirit produced unity or agreement results from receiving God's inward workings, his persuasion, what he thinks. You know, as we receive what God says and what he thinks, it brings us together around that truth. Okay. So we see that truth isn't the center of it all. Um, if 
we are looking all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. We see unity right from the very beginning. Uh, when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You know, there was a unity in the Trinity. They were working together to create. And it wasn't just from mankind. I mean, this quote is when they were creating man. But there was a unity in this Trinity from the very beginning, from before creation. You know, they were united. They were in union. Okay? And so then they created man to be like them, and, and they agreed. That, that's another big thing of unity is agreement. You know, we have to be in agreement if we're going to be in unity. And so they were all flowing together in their unique abilities. It's the same thing that they desire, God desires for the body of Christ, is for there to be a flow of unique abilities, of unique personalities of unique, you know, gifts that he's put into us that, that are connected and, and flowing in the way he wants them to, okay, according to his will, according to his purpose. So next in the word of God, we see the unity that he creates in a marriage. You know, this was when he created man, he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So to hold fast, a lot of times that's translated cleave. Um, it can mean to adhere, to stick together like glue, um, to abide. God made marriage to be a covenant of unity. He made it where two very different people come together and become one body or one flesh. And that gives us the illustration of what's to come. You know, that's why God uses the illustration of marriage um, to liken to the body of Christ, to teach us that as the body of Christ, as the church, we are the bride of Christ. We are made to be in union with him, in unity with him, in agreement with him. And even before the letters to the church started revealing that mystery of being in him, being unified with him, Jesus himself prayed for this unity to the Father. And that's where I want to kind of start reading tonight. We're going to go through a lot of scripture as usual. Um, but I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation because it flows easier and it's a lot of scripture. We read in here all the time out of John 17 because it is Jesus praying for us. It is Jesus praying over his disciples, and then he includes the future believers with that. So I just find it to be a privilege and an honor to read it as the body of Christ together over and over and over. So if you've heard it before in here, <laughs> let's just turn there. Let's read it together, okay? So this is John chapter 17, and I'm just going to read it through as a whole. And how many of you know that as you're studying the Word of God, you need to read things in context. You need to read things through as a whole and then go back and look at the more specific parts, okay? So it says, this is what Jesus prayed as he looked up into heaven. Father, the time has come and veil the glorious splendor of your son so that I will magnify your glory. You have already given me authority over all people so that I may give the gift of eternal life to all those that you have given me. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth by faithfully doing everything you've told me to do. 
So my Father, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were face to face, before the universe was created. Father, I have manifested who you really are, and I have revealed you to the men and women that you gave me. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have fastened your word firmly to their hearts. And now, at last, they know everything I have is a gift from you. And the very words you gave to me to speak, I have passed on to them. They have received your words, and they carry them in their hearts. They are convinced that I have come from your presence, and they have fully believed that you sent me to represent you. So with deep love, I pray for my disciples. I'm not asking on behalf of the unbelieving world, but for those who belong to you, those you have given me. For all who belong to me now belong to you. All who belong to you now belong to me as well. My glory is revealed through their surrendered lives. Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return to be with you, but my disciples will remain here. So I ask that by the power of your name, protect each one that you have given me and watch over them, that they will be united as one, even as we are one. While I was with these that you have given me, I have kept them safe by your name that you have given me. Not one of them is lost except the one that was destined to be lost so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I am returning to you. So, Father, I pray that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. I have given them your message, and that is why the unbelieving world hates them. For their allegiance is no longer to this world because I am not of this world. I'm not asking that you remove them from the world, but I ask that you guard their hearts from evil, for they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. Your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. I have commissioned them to represent me just as you commissioned me to represent you, and now I dedicate myself to them as a holy sacrifice so that they will live as fully dedicated to God and be made holy by your truth. I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them, so that they will experience perfect unity, and the world will be convinced that you have sent me, and they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. We're going to stop there. Okay. Hmm. (laughs) I think I'm going to have to change... See, this is why I don't do technology. (laughs) Sorry about that. Just give me one moment. Okay, got it back. (laughs) Okay, so we see Jesus praying out his Father's will for his followers, which is also his will. Why? Because they're in unity, right? So the Father and Jesus both have the same will, the same heart towards people, and they're in unity, they're in agreement, and he desires for his followers, present and future, to be in full unity 
or one with himself and the Father as well. So the basis for this unity is what? Is there a word that stood out to you? Truth. Okay? The basis of unity is truth. Notice verses 6 through 8. Describe how his followers have received and accepted his words and know that Jesus was sent by the Father. So they received that truth. They accepted that truth. Okay? They said, yes, that's what we believe. So this truth is what unites them. Without their acceptance of or agreement with this truth, they could not be in unity with Jesus or with God. They, that is the only thing that makes them able to come into unity. Um, and verse 9 confirms this because it, it says the unbelievers are not included in this prayer. He cannot ask for unity with the unbelievers because they do not receive the truth. Okay? He can ask for the future believers because they are going to come into agreement with that truth that flows through his disciples. And that's what's still happening. His truth flows through his people. As we accept it, as we receive it, we allow it to flow to other people, and then they have the opportunity to receive that same truth, to be in unity with him. Okay? Only some belong to him. So we see Holy Spirit through Paul further explain this principle. We're going to go into the letters to the church in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay. Now I am going to start in verse 14. And once again pretty well-known portion of scripture here. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation to give us a a slightly different perspective. It says, don't continue to team up with unbelievers in in mismatched alliances or don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? For what partnership is there between righteousness and rebellion? What or who could mingle light with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What friendship does God's temple have with demons? For indeed, we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. For this reason, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch nothing that is unclean and I will embrace you. I will be a true father to you and you will be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord Yahweh Almighty. Beloved ones, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminate body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. So that is the instructions we're given as believers. There can be no union between believers and unbelievers. We're given several illustrations about that distinction and that separation that is necessary between those who receive and walk in God's truth and those who don't. Now, this is a place where a lot of believers get themselves in trouble, specifically into the trouble of compromise. Because the only thing that coming into agreement or unity with unbelievers will bring is a weakening to the believer and to their faith. So we are not to accept or agree with any unbiblical principles or perspectives full stop. You know, there's no compromise. There's no watering down there. Unbelievers should see something completely different in this, and it gives them the opportunity either to want it or to hate it. You know, in in the ESV, uh, Jesus says, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
So just as it was with Jesus, so it is with us. Jesus presented truth everywhere he went. He, he flowed with truth. Now, he presented the truth and gave people the opportunity to receive it or to not. He went among the unbelievers to share truth, but what did he not do? He never became like unbelievers in order to reach them. He never compromised truth in order to make it more palatable. You know, a lot of times we, we kind of have the idea in the Christian world, what can I do to make it seem better? You know, what can I do to make it seem a little easier, a little sweeter? You know, but that's not what Jesus did. He, he came with the fullness of the truth to people. He never, never watered that down or compromised it. Um, either people wanted it or they didn't. He wanted them to want it. We want people to want it. You know, but, but Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, he said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of their own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So challenging words, but that's the truth. That's the way Jesus gave us things. He just put it out there, you know. Um, And I love his directness. Uh, We have to have the right perspective among unbelievers. We are not in union with them. Our job is to see them as lost, to reach out in compassion, and to give them the opportunity to get saved, not to try to be close-knit or yoked up with them. Okay, they are of the world. We are in the world. They are in the world. They are of the world. We are not of the world. You know, we have a different citizenship, and we have to walk in that revelation daily. It'll keep us out of a lot of trouble. Uh, We want them to get delivered from the bondage of the world. There's a God of this world. He's holding people in bondage. We want people to be free from that, but they cannot be free if we're trying to make them feel good where they are. If we're trying to tell you, Everything's okay. Yeah, everything's okay. And pet people's flesh. We're not giving them the truth, you know. Uh, And the thing is, too, as we are approaching people who are of the world, we have got to be careful not to develop or grow in affection toward the world. Uh, John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Uh, James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, he can't be any more clear with us than this. We've got to be very vigilant and very careful about keeping ourselves unstained. You know, there's a verse that tells us, keep, stay unstained from the world. Okay, so now that we've covered why we can't be in unity with unbelievers, we're going to look at what the Word of God says about unity among believers. Okay, unity where there should be agreement. 
So for this, we're going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And in my Bible, in my ESV Bible, this is titled Unity in the Body of Christ. So it's a great place for us to start. (laughs) Okay, and I'm going to start here in verses 1 through 7. Now, this is Paul by the unction of the Holy Ghost writing here. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the bond of, or eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, so we'll stop there for a moment. So here in these first few verses, we see instructions for walking in a manner that's worthy of what we're called to. Walking in humility, walking in gentleness and patience, these are all vital ingredients to being in the body of Christ, to walking in a manner that's worthy. Uh, Bearing with one another in love. So that bearing with, it literally means enduring and persisting as you go through a process. So all of us as the body, we're all going through a process of becoming like Jesus. None of us have arrived. None of us should be stagnant, okay, or still. We should all be moving. We should all be getting constantly stirred to be more like Jesus, okay? So we're all in that process, and we walk through that process together in love. God's agape. It empowers us. We as believers are, are in that constant development, but the purpose of this process, developing ourselves to be more like Jesus, that purpose has to be kept at the core of the motives of how we interact as the body, okay? That, that is the core of why we do what we do. And if that purpose is, is not right, if it's not that we are trying to help develop ourselves and help develop each other, to be what God wants us to be, to reach people for him. If, if we lose sight of the purpose of the process, um, then we can get derailed in this process. And this is what we see happening a lot of times in the body of Christ, uh, where we should be in a process that's drawing us into deeper unity with Jesus and with each other. Oftentimes there's motives um, within the body you know, we want other believers to like us. We want to gain something for ourselves. Some people are playing games and creating drama because they thrive on it. Some are being are looking to be promoted into authority and position. It's all, all about the motives of our heart. You know, God looks at our motives. And if those... Yes, yeah, so if those are our motives, then we are not going to be in unity with the body because that's not God's motive. That's not God's heart. That's not what God is asking from us. So it's not just being gathered as the body. So oftentimes we think, oh, we're coming to church. We're gathering as the body. Everybody here has the right motive. No, (laughs) that's not true, unfortunately. You know, but God sees to our hearts and he sees why we're here. He sees what we're trying to do here and he will work with us. 
based upon what our motive is, you know, but it, we need to have pure motives. There needs to be a purity there. So verse 3 explains that we should be eager, we should be diligent and zealous to maintain, to guard, to preserve, to keep intact this unity. Those are strong words. You know, be zealous, be diligent. You're going to have to work for it to preserve, to keep intact this unity of the Spirit. And remember, God's Spirit always, always, always agrees with His Word. Never is His Spirit out of agreement with His Word. So we've got to have the Word as the basis for everything we're in unity over, everything we're in agreement on is based upon His Word. Okay, so now we are guarding that unity um, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, this is another loaded phrase here. Okay, the bond means an identity which produces close harmony between members joined closely together. Okay, so an identity. There is an actual identity that binds us. It's an identity in Christ. Um, and it binds us. It is an identity of peace. And it produces harmony among us right? Um, And that word peace even, that means wholeness. It means when all the essential parts are joined together, that's what he's moving us towards is that perfection of the body, that bride that he's coming back for. That's what we are moving towards. Um, We are instructed to protect that, to protect the agreement we have with believers. Um, Verses four through six explain though there's only one way. You know, there can really be no division when there's one way. (laughs) You can't really go to the right or the left when there's one way. And that makes it all very simple. (laughs) Okay? Um, And then verse 7 starts leading us into one of the ways that God gives us to stay in unity. And we're going to look at that way today. Um, by the grace given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is this gift it's talking about? Well, if you go down to verse 11, it tells us, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, that's a wordy sentence. <laughs> so let's, let's look at it from the beginning. I'm not going to teach about the ministry gifts here. You know, that's not why we're here tonight. These gifts of leadership to the church, uh, I, we want to focus on why. Why did God give these gifts to the church? God gave people to the body to serve the body by functioning as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So God equipped these people and gave them as a gift to his body and said, here, now here's what these people are here to do. And it gives us a very clear description. It says, firstly, they're here to, they're given to us to equip. 
okay, another loaded word. To equip means to completely furnish, to bring to a condition of fitness or perfection. So it is equipping, it is furnishing, it is um, preparing, conditioning the saints to be able to minister and serve in the kingdom. Okay, it is helping us to grow up. So he gave these gifts to equip us. Um, and that, that word furnish, it has some interesting illustrations. You know, I was just thinking about as I saw this word, how many of you have ever moved into a house that was completely unfurnished? You know, when we moved to Dublin from Texas, uh, we had a crate of stuff that arrived maybe a month or two after we did. And we basically arrived to an empty house. So it was, it was an extremely uh, basic start to our existence in that house because it was not furnished. There were so many things we could not do <laughs> because we did not have any furnishing to do it with, you know. And so we immediately went out and got the basics. Like I remember we, eat, we just went to Ikea and bought an outdoor dining set because it was cheap and it was immediate. <laughs> And so we had that in our house, and that is what we sat on. That is what we ate at. That is the only furniture we had (laughs) in the house for a while. It was very basic, but it was a start. So every time we'd get another piece of furniture, we could do a little more with our house. We could use it to a fuller function, okay? And that's what God's wanting to do in us as the body is to furnish us that if you think of yourself as a house, the inside of you gets equipped You know, you get furniture placed in you that is going to make you more productive. That's going to make you more useful to the kingdom. He is building you up and furnishing you for this purpose. And that's what he uses. He uses these gifts to the church, these leadership gifts, to help you, to equip you. Okay? Part of the function of leadership gifts in the church is to equip and furnish the body to be participants. Like we always say in here, we're not here to be spectators. We're here to be participants in the kingdom, you know, and these gifts are, (laughs) these gifts are also for the building up of the body. So it is translated as building up. It's literally a house, but in the figurative, it means constructive criticism and instruction that builds a person up to be a suitable dwelling place for God. You know, that is one of the functions of these gifts is to create in us a hospitable environment for the spirit of God to dwell. You know, that that is a big responsibility if you think about it, that God has put his spirit on the inside of you and he wants you, yes, he wants you to be prepared for it. He wants you to be built up and equipped for a bigger purpose and to to know God's preferences, to be pleasing to him. So the equipping and building is all for the purpose of attaining the unity of faith, the knowledge of Jesus to maturity, to the mature or to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The more we all grow up and mature in the things of God, the more we will be in unity. Just like in a marriage, you know, I remember somebody teaching us about marriage uh, when Ryan and I, before we got married and saying, you know, as you grow closer to God, you get closer to each other. You know, our closeness, our unity with God, it draws us as a body closer together. Um, 
the more agreement we have with each other, the more in alignment we are with Jesus. We, we can be in unity as a body. We can be linked together in a way that he can use us more effectively. Okay, so the, the growing and unifying of the body protects us. What does it protect us from? It protects us from remaining as immature children. What, what happens to children? They have no stability. They, they do not know deception. They do not know what's right or wrong a lot of times. They do not know when something is a trick or a scheme. So it describes these immature children as being tossed about like waves, you know, this way and that way, and there's no stability and there's no consistency, okay? And it keeps us from, uh, in that immaturity, being blown by the wind of different doctrines. How many of you know that there's always some new Christian book out? There's always some new philosophy out. There's always some new wind blowing Absolutely. There's different leaders in the kingdom that are, you know, we can be fooled by if we don't have a protection from deception. Okay. Uh, We will not be easily shaken, or as the passion puts it, that our immaturity will end. We will not be easily shaken by trouble nor led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. Instead of being immature, unstable, and deceived, we are to speak the truth, and love. This is a key. It's a key to development in your Christian walk. It's a key to unity in the kingdom. It causes the body to grow, mature, and develop and come into the fullness of what we're created to be, to be unified and fruitful. So what's so important about speaking the truth and love? The combination of these two spiritual elements coming together releases power. It's like a supercharged fertilizer. That will help you grow. Okay, speaking truth without love leaves people feeling condemned, like religion, like the Pharisees did. You know, if there's truth but there's no love, bringing that truth, delivering that truth, then there's a condemnation. Um, it's not, it's not being presented properly. But on the other hand, speaking love without truth is critically lacking. It allows people to run off a cliff, just like what we call greasy grace or out of balance grace, you know, everything's okay. Sure. You're fine. Just go run off that cliff of sin. I won't, you know, you're just fine. So that is what love can do. If there's no truth in it, truth is, or love is anchored by truth. Okay. So withholding truth is harmful to people. And when we withhold truth, we're harming them and we're being selfish. So when truth is spoken in love, we will be protected from deception. Remember, truth is the basis for unity. Without it, we are all running on our own opinions and preferences. When truth is spoken out of a motivation of love, it presents people with the opportunity to change, to grow, to come into alignment with God. Some people will still not receive the truth even when it's spoken in love. Some want to come into unity with the body and be a part in that love, but not in truth. That's impossible, unfortunately. Our unity in the body comes when we are all submitted to God's word and his spirit, to truth. Without this, we are just a a social club looking to make people feel good and happy for the moment. It's not what God has called us to do. It's fruitless and it's full of deception. God designed his son's body to be strong, to be purposeful, 
to proclaim his glory, to demonstrate his love in power. There should be power, you know, and that is one thing that the truth and love, when we grow up in these things, more power will flow. We cannot stay where we are and be pleasing to him. We must continue to grow and mature and help each other to do the same. So Pastor Rusty always uses the um, illustration of the Christian walk is like going up the down escalator. You cannot stand still. You cannot be pleasing to God if you are stagnant and still because you will fall back down to the beginning. You have to keep moving, even if it feels like you're not getting very far, like you're going really slow. If you will just keep going step by step, day by day, you will. You will mature. You will grow, and it will become easier. You'll get used to that motion. You'll get used to, you know, what it takes to walk in the Christian life. You'll get more empowered by his power, by his spirit, by his presence. You'll get more empowered to do it, you know, but we cannot stay in a place of complacency and apathy. As we continue on in the next, I don't know how long we'll stay on this, um, Ryan and I will probably switch out some, but, you know, I want to uh, finish out chapter four of Ephesians and go a bit into chapter five, and we're going to we're going to look at what it looks like to live without truth and how that stifles unity because that's what it comes next. It describes the condition of people who are living without truth. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely opportunities for us as believers to fall into things that are not, not right and we need to be aware of that as believers as well. Like these letters, when we think about it, they're written to churches. They're written to people who, who should know how to stay out of this stuff. And so as we read this over the next few weeks, you know, we'll see how this stuff infiltrates the body of Christ and how we can stay safeguarded from that. But like I said, one of the best protections from deception, speaking the truth in love. Okay, so we're also going to be talking about division in the body, what causes it, what it looks like, how to avoid it. Okay, so over the next few weeks, I just think God's wanting us as a church to dig in, to grab a hold of things, to really come into a, a strong understanding of what his definition of unity is, not ours. We want his definition. So I am excited. I'm looking forward to to digging into the word with you guys. Thank you all so much for coming tonight. I'm just going to pray and we're going to dismiss. Okay, Father God, I just thank you and praise you for your word. Your word is our delight, Lord. Oh, it's our nourishment. Oh, we thank you, Father God, that we were able to to take in, to devour your word tonight, Lord. And I thank you that it produces something, that as we take it in, Lord, we don't take it for granted. Oh, that we let it do its work in us that you send your word forth and it never returns void, Lord. It accomplishes everything that you have set forth for it to do. So we thank you and praise you, Lord, that we will meditate on your word. We will meditate on what you're trying to tell us as a body, how you're trying to get us into an alignment so that we can be in a more full unity, Lord. We just thank you for what you're doing here. You are developing us. You are... You're building a foundation here. And we submit to that, Lord. 
we submit ourselves to what you're doing. We say it's your way or it's no way. We love you. We honor you. We leave out of here as your ambassadors, Lord. We thank you at Island Church. We are covered by your blood, empowered by your word, and anointed by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. you can join us for our latest message. We are located in the city at 76 Strand Road and we would love for you to call in and join us. Details are on our website at islandchurch.co.uk.